Chapter eighty eight, part four of Varney the Vampire, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nick Number. Varney the Vampire, volume two, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter eighty eight, part four. And now it was a calm. Varney's stay at the cottage of the Bannerworths was productive of a different mood of mind than ever he had possessed before. He looked upon them in a very different manner to what he had been used to. He had, moreover, considerably altered prospects. There could not be the same hopes and expectations that he once had. He was an altered man. He saw in the Bannerworths those who had saved his life, and who, without doubt, had possessed an opinion not merely obnoxious to him, but must have had some fearful misgivings concerning his character, and that, too, of a nature that usually shuts out all hope of being received into any family. But, in the hour of his need, when his life was in danger, no one else would have done what they had done for him, especially when so relatively placed. Moreover, he had been concealed, when to do so was both dangerous and difficult, and then it was done by Flora Bannerworth herself. Time flew by. The mode of passing time at the cottage was calm and serene. Varney had seldom witnessed anything like it, but, at the same time, he felt more at ease than ever he had. He was charmed with the society of Flora, in fact with the whole of the little knot of individuals who there collected together. From what he saw he was gratified in their society, and it seemed to alleviate his mental disquiet and the sense he must feel of his own peculiar position. But Varney became ill. The state of mind and body he had been in for some time past might be the cause of it. He had been much harassed, and hunted from place to place. There was not a moment in which his life was not in danger, and he had, moreover, in more than one case, received some bodily injuries, bruises, and contusions of a desperate character, and yet he would take no notice of them, but allow them to get well again, as best they could. His escapes and injuries had made a deep impression upon his mind, and had no doubt a corresponding effect upon his body, and Varney became very ill. Flora Bannerworth did all that could be done for one in his painful position, and this greatly added to the depth of thought that occasionally beset him, and he could scarcely draw one limb after the other. He walked from room to room in the twilight, at which time he had more liberty permitted him than at any other, because there was not the same danger in his doing so, for, if once seen, there could be no matter of doubt but he would have been pursued until he was destroyed, when no other means of escape were at hand, and Varney himself felt that there could be no chance of his again escaping from them, for his physical powers were fast decaying. He was not, in fact, the same man. He came out into the parlor from the room in which he had been seated during the day. Flora and her mother were there, while Charles Holland and Henry Bannerworth had both at that moment entered the apartment. "'Good evening, Miss Bannerworth,' said Sir Francis, bowing to her and then to her mother, Mrs. Bannerworth. "'And you, Mr. Holland, I see have been out enjoying the free breeze that plays over the hot fields. It must be refreshing.' "'It is so, sir,' said Charles. "'I wish we could make you a partaker in our walks.' "'I wish you could with all my heart,' said Varney. "'Sir Francis,' said Flora, "'must be a prisoner for some short time longer yet. "'I ought not to consider it in any such light. "'It is not imprisonment. "'I have taken sanctuary. "'It is the wellspring of life to me,' said Varney. "'I hope it may prove so, "'but how do you find yourself this evening, Sir Francis Varney?' "'Really, it is difficult to say. "'I fluctuate. "'At times I feel as though I should drop insensible on the earth, "'and then I feel better than I have done for some time previously.' "'Dr. Chillingworth will be here by and by, no doubt, "'and he must see what he can do for you to relieve you of these symptoms,' said Flora. 
I am much beholden to you, much beholden to you, but I hope to be able to do without the good doctor's aid in this instance, though I must admit I may appear ungrateful. Not at all, not at all. Have you heard any news abroad today? inquired Varney. None, Sir Francis, none. There is nothing apparently stirring. And now, go out when you would, you would find nothing but what was old, quiet, and familiar. We cannot wish to look upon anything with more charms for a mind at ease than we can see under such circumstances, but I fear there are some few old and familiar features that I should find sad havoc in. You would, certainly, for the burnings and raisings to the ground of some places have made some dismal appearances, but time may efface that, and then the evil may die away, and the future will become the present, should we be able to allay popular feeling. Yes, said Sir Francis, but popular prejudices, or justice, or feeling, are things not easily assuaged. The people, when once aroused, go on to commit all kinds of excess, and there is no one point at which they will stop short of the complete extirpation of some one object or other that they have taken a fancy to hunt. The hubbub and excitement must subside. The greater the ignorance, the more persevering and the more brutal they are, said Sir Francis, but I must not complain of what is a necessary consequence of their state. It might be otherwise. So it might, and no mischief arise either, but as we cannot divert the stream, we may as well bend to the force of a current too strong to resist. The moon is up, said Flora, who wished to turn the conversation from that to another topic. I see it yonder through the trees. It rises red and large. It is very beautiful, and yet there is not a cloud about to give it the color and appearance it now wears. Exactly so, said Sir Francis Varney. But the reason is the air is filled with a light, invisible vapor that has the effect you perceive. There has been much evaporation going on, and now it shows itself in giving the moon that peculiar large appearance and deep color. Aye, I see, it peeps through the trees, the branches of which cut it up into various portions. It is singular and yet beautiful, and yet the earth below seems dark. It is dark. You would be surprised to find it so if you walked about. It will soon be lighter than it is at this present moment. "'What sounds are those?' inquired Sir Francis Varney, as he listened attentively. "'Sounds? What sounds?' returned Henry. "'The sounds of wheels and horses' feet,' said Varney. "'I cannot hear them, much less can I tell what they are,' said Henry. "'Then listen. Now they come along the road. Cannot you hear them now?' said Varney. "'Yes, I can,' said Charles Holland. "'But I really don't know what they are, or what it can matter to us. We don't expect any visitors.' "'Certainly, certainly,' said Varney. I am somewhat apprehensive of the approach of strange sounds. You are not likely to be disturbed here, said Charles. Indeed, I thought so when I had succeeded in getting into the house near the town, and so far from believing it was likely I should be discovered that I sat on the housetop while the mob surrounded it. Did you not hear them coming? I did. And yet you did not attempt to escape from them? No, I could not persuade them I was not there save by my utter silence. I allowed them to come too close to leave myself time to escape. Besides, I could hardly persuade myself there could be any necessity for so doing. It was fortunate it was, as it happened afterwards, that you were able to reach the wood and get out of it unperceived by the mob. I should have been in an unfortunate condition had I been in their hands long. A man made of iron would not be able to resist the brutality of those people. As they were speaking, a gig with two men drove up, followed by one on horseback. They stopped at the garden gate and then tarried to consult with each other as they looked at the house. "'What can they want, I wonder?' inquired Henry. "'I never saw them before.' "'Nor I,' said Charles Holland. "'Do you not know them at all?' inquired Varney. "'No,' replied Flora. "'I never saw them. Neither can I imagine what is their object in coming here.' 
"'Did you ever see them before?' inquired Henry of his mother, who held up her hand to look more carefully at the strangers. Then, shaking her head, she declared she had never seen such persons as those. "'I dare say not,' said Charles Holland. "'They certainly are not gentlemen, but here they come. "'There is some mistake, I dare say. They don't want to come here.' As they spoke, the two strangers got down. After picking up a topcoat they had let fall, they turned round and deliberately put it into the chaise again. They walked up the path to the door, at which they knocked. The door was opened by the old woman when the two men entered. "'Does Francis Beauchamp live here?' "'Eh?' said the old woman, who was a little deaf, and she put her hand behind her ear to catch the sounds more distinctly. "'Eh? Who did you say?' Sir Francis Varney started as the sounds came upon his ear, but he sat still, an attentive listener. "'Are there any strangers in the house?' inquired the other officer impatiently. "'Who is here?' "'Strangers?' said the old woman. "'You are the only strangers that I have seen here.' "'Come,' said the officer to his companion. "'Come this way. There are people in this parlour. Our business must be an apology for any rudeness we may commit.' As he spoke he stepped by the old woman, and laying his hand upon the handle of the door entered the apartment, at the same time looking carefully around the room as if he expected someone. "'Ladies,' said the stranger with an offhand politeness that had something repulsive in it, though it was meant to convey a notion that civility was intended, "'Ladies, I beg pardon for intruding, but I am looking for a gentleman.' "'You shall hear from me again soon,' said Sir Francis in an almost imperceptible whisper. "'What is the object of this intrusion?' demanded Henry Bannerworth, rising and confronting the stranger. "'This is a strange introduction.' "'Yes, but not an unusual one,' said the stranger, in these cases, being unavoidable at the least. "'Sir,' said Charles Holland, "'if you cannot explain quickly your business here, we will proceed to take those measures which will at least rid ourselves of your company.' "'Softly, sir, I mean no offence, not the least, but I tell you I do not come for any purpose that is all consonant to my wishes. I am a Bow Street officer in the execution of my duty. Excuse me, therefore.' "'Whom do you want?' "'Francis Beauchamp, and from the peculiarity of the appearance of this individual here, I think I may safely request the pleasure of his company.' Varney now rose, and the officer made a rush at him, when he saw him do so, saying, "'Surrender in the king's name!' Varney, however, paid no attention to that, but rushed past, throwing his chair down to impede the officer, who could not stay himself but fell over it, while Varney made a rush towards the window, which he cleared at one bound, and crossing the road was lost to sight in a few seconds in the trees and hedges on the other side. "'Accidents will happen,' said the officer as he rose to his feet. "'I did not think the fellow would have taken the window in that manner, but we have him in view, and that will be enough.' "'In heaven's name,' said Henry, "'explain all about this. We cannot understand one word of it. I am at a loss to understand one word of it.' "'We will return and do so presently,' said the officer, as he dashed out of the house after the fugitive at a rapid and reckless speed, followed by his companion. The man who had been left with the chaise, however, was the first in the chase. Seeing an escape from the window, he immediately guessed that he was the man wanted, and, but for an accident, he would have met Varney at the gate, for, as he was getting out in a hurry, his foot became entangled with the reins, and he fell to the ground, and Varney at the same moment stepped over him. "'Curses infernal impudence, and damn these reins!' muttered the man in a fury at the accident, and the aggravating circumstance of the fugitive walking over him in such a manner, and so coolly, too, it was vexing. The man, however, quickly released himself and rushed after Varney across the road and kept on his track for some time. The moon was still rising and shed but a gloomy light around. Everything was almost invisible until you came close to it. 
This was the reason why Varney and his pursuer met with several severe accidents, tumbles and hard knocks against impediments which the light and the rapid flight they were taking did not admit of their avoiding very well. They went on for some time, but it was evident that Varney knew the place best and could avoid what the man could not, and that was the trees and the natural impediments of the ground which Varney was acquainted with. For instance, at full speed across a meadow, a hollow would suddenly present itself, and to an accustomed eye the moonlight might enable it to be distinguished at a glance what it was, while to one wholly unaccustomed to it the hollow would often look like a hillock by such a light. This Varney would clear at a bound, which a less agile and heavier person would step into, lifting up his leg to meet an impediment, when he would find it come down suddenly some six or eight inches lower than he anticipated, almost dislocating his leg and neck, and producing a corresponding loss of breath, which was not regained by the muttered curse upon such a country where the places were so uneven. End of chapter 88 part 4 Recording by Nick Number